0: Our Psalter reading this morning is from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Our sermon passage this morning comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verses 1 through 18. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Methahiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Measei. On his right hand in Padiah, Mishael, Machika, Hashem, Hashbadanon, Zechariah, and Meshlem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. They bowed down their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bonnie, Sherebiah, Jamin, Acab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kaliah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was a governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it within the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, that they should proclaim it and publish it in all the towns and in Jerusalem, Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive and wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof. And in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and at the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, so that to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. Day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that it is your word. Thank you that it is living and active. It is sharper than any double edged sword. Thank you that it applies even to us today. So, Father, open our ears and our hearts and your minds by your spirit. Fall on us afresh that we may know and understand and live out this word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know we're looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And we're doing it because the idea is we've gone back to some sense of a normal life. On the back end of the pandemic, schools have started, high school football's going on, you're going back to work, you're not doing as many Zoom meetings as you used to. Things are getting somewhat back to normal. So then how is we, as God's people, are supposed to live in this new normal? And so we look at Ezra and Nehemiah, which is a picture of God's people that were 70 years in exile. Not just you know, seven months in quarantine, but 70 years in exile. And as they came back, what did life look like for them? What were they about and how that can inform and help us as we get back to normal life? Quick recap, the first week we looked at God's sovereignty. Because if God is not sovereign, if God is not in control of all things, then we don't need to worry about what's happening right now. We don't need to worry about what's going on in this pandemic. But the fact is, if God is sovereign, because we know that he is, he's at work. He is doing something in us and through us during this season and time in the same way as he was during the exile. And so as God's people came back to rebuild, which is the theme of these two books, they realized not everything needed to be rebuilt. Not everything in their lives the way that was before needed to continue in this new normal. So they started to do about what's most important. They started by rebuilding lives of worship. They rebuilt the altar, they rebuilt the temple, knowing they were made to honor God, made to worship him, so let's begin there. Then they they were people of compassion. They rebuilt lives of compassion. So easy in a season like this to have our eyes only looking on ourselves, our only issues, our problems, our fears, our concerns, but instead to look out to the needs of others and caring for others as we saw Nehemiah do that. And then last week, we talked about rebuilding lives of community. We weren't made to be alone. We weren't made to do this on our own. We need others who come alongside us and come around us and pray for us and love us and remind us of the truth of the gospel. And today, what we're gonna talk about is rebuilding life of truth really important for us. As we rebuild this life, what's the foundation that we build on? So first off, for our kids, we're so glad that kids are here in the service. It's one of my favorite parts. We even read how important it was. Even back then, kids were in the service. And for those of you that are online, one thing we want you to do is be able to have conversations, some way to listen to all the stuff that I'm about to say and maybe pay attention to a little bit of it. So lunch with mom and dad. Here are your questions for today. Whose idea was it to read God's word? Two how do the people respond to the reading of God's word? And three, how do they put that into practice? Those are your three questions for today. But now before we even jump into this, we need to acknowledge something really important. Every single one of us has in our life something that helps us determine how we live, determine how we make choices. Now, some people, it's got all kinds of fancy names. It could be your, my life goals or it could be my, my life mission statement or my code which every time I hear code, I think of the movie Elf. You know, the code of the elves, right? Everybody knows this. I mean, I could probably get you to say it right now. You won't do it, but I probably could get you to. Treat every day like Christmas, right? That was, that was one. There's room for everybody on the? Nice list, very nicely done. And the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to? Singing loud. Is it sad that we know that so easily? I may not know the code of like, you know, some other really important things, but the code of the elves, I'm ready. But think about the movie. Buddy the Elf lived that out. Every day was like Christmas for him. He found used gum, best day ever. He goes in to walk in and says, world's best cup of coffee. Like every day was Christmas to him. This idea of people, there's always room on the nice list. His dad, who's on the naughty list, he keeps trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Dad, let's go eat a whole, you know, roll of, Nestle toll house cookies, you know, and then we'll snuggle. And like he's given him every chance to be on the nice list. And then, as we see in multiple times in this story, he sings loud for all to hear to bring Christmas cheer. He's living out his code. You and I have a code just like that. It may be our political party, it might be our politics, that we live our lives and we make our decisions based on what one side or the other says. It may be based on expectations. Maybe it's the expectations you have for yourself. Maybe it's the expectations others have for you. Maybe you make decisions out of fear, scared to fail, scared to be punished. Maybe you make decisions based on your portfolio or on your bank account or on what is labeled as success. Whatever it is, each and every one of us live our lives with these voices coming at us that tell us how to live and we're listening to them. And they have more ultimate sway and power than they probably should. But if we don't acknowledge on the front end that those exist, we're gonna miss out on the rest. But each and every one of us has that in our life. And it starts at an early age. If you remember, like, there were some rules that you might've had, like, in your household, but then when you went to school for the first time. Remember school rules? I've got some school rules. If we, I think if we all lived this out, life would just be better, right? The world would be a better place. I will only use kind words. That's good. I will use walking feet. I don't know what that means exactly, but that's good probably. I will use watching eyes. We need to look around us. That's good. Be aware. I will clean up my area. Man, that would be awesome. I will use helping hands. I will raise my hand to speak in a group. I will use listening ears. I will use an inside voice. It starts there. From the very beginning, there's these rules, these ideas that are ingrained into us about how we're supposed to exist in the world. And as we get older, they get more complicated and we start to push the boundaries, don't we? I remember my kindergarten class, I was in a double classroom and my best friend was in the other class. And you were supposed to during playtime and whatever else stay on your side of the room, right? We would always go to the other sides of the room with each other to the point where after the first week of school, they had to put a tape line right down the middle just for the two of us. And so then during playtime, we would sit at the tape, like the very edge, touching the tape, and we would play. We always are looking to push the boundaries. What else is out there? What is real? What do I really have to obey? And now we live in a time that's even more, there is no right or wrong. There is no universal truth. There's what's true for you. There's what's true for me. And they don't have to even exist together. They can be completely polar opposites and we have no way to disagree. That's the context that we live in. That's the context they lived in. They lived their whole lives in another culture. Another culture that would speak into them. Another culture that told them how they had to worship and worshiping false gods they didn't believe in. They were forced into different labor and work and where they lived, they had no freedom to make any choices at all. That culture continued to speak into them and that's how they had to live. But they longed for more. They longed to be who they were before because they had a very unique identity as God's people. They were the people that God of the universe, the God who created the heavens and the earth, came down and spoke to gave the law to Moses. They knew that God cared about them and set them apart as something special. And they wanted to recapture that truth, recapture that hope. And to do that, they did three things. They had this hope and desire and love for God's word. And what they did is they longed for it. They longed for God's word. They listened to it and then they lived it out. So our three points. They longed for it, they listened to it and they lived it out. The context of where we start is they've now finished the wall. Now what you have to understand is they finished the wall in 52 days. This was torn down, ransacked, burned, not useful at all, and very quickly they got all the people together. They were able to be successful in building the wall. And our assumption is, is they would treat it like you and I would treat it. When I finish a big project, be it at work, be it at home, it is time to take a break. It's time to celebrate, time to give high fives. It's time to take a couple days off. It's time to move forward. They wouldn't wait. Before they even started building houses in Jerusalem, they wanna be about worship. The reason they built the wall to begin with was to keep themselves free and safe to worship. And now that all the physical needs are taken care of, It's time to deal with the spiritual needs that they have. And it says that they, it wasn't just a few pockets of people. It says all of them gathered together as one man. There was this unity of purpose. They all gathered. And it says men, women, kids, anybody who could understand gathered. And they said to Ezra, read the law. They didn't say, Ezra, give us a pep talk. They didn't say, Nehemiah, whip us up into a frenzy now that we've done this. Tell us how great we are. He said, read us the law. And for you and for me, it's hard for us to grasp or understand why that mattered because we own one of these things. Each and every one of us has or has access to a Bible. It takes 10 seconds to pull it up on your phone or your tablet or your computer. At this time in human history, no one had a Bible. There was one or two or three kept in the temple or the tabernacle. The scribes would be writing it, but there was no way to reproduce this. So most of these people at this moment in time had never heard God's word before. They'd heard about it, they'd heard these stories about that God had spoken, that he had given the tablets to Moses, and then there was more law, and they got to live it out. And there's some of these celebrations that we've heard rumors of that we've never participated in. For some of them, it was the first time in their lives they heard God's word read. It was a huge deal, and they longed for it. It's as if they were begging Ezra, please, what we need most is the law. And it said their ears were attentive to it. It's as if they had ears for nothing else but the law. And Ezra, what's really cool about his backstory, we did the whole book, we're part of the book of Ezra, never even met Ezra, but now we have in Nehemiah. He was sent by King Artaxerxes for one purpose, which was to study and teach the law to God's people. So here they are wanting to hear the law. And they listen to it. And there's a difference between hearing and listening. I think we need to make that distinction on the first one. Because all of us live in that world and that tension sometimes, okay? Like there are times when I hear my wife call me from the other room. She'll say my name, and I hear that, and then I hear the teacher from Charlie Brown. I don't know. What I'm, but I heard her, I heard something, but I'm not listening. And she'll call me on it. She's like, Were you listening to me? I was like, I heard you. No, 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 were you listening to me? They weren't just hearing God's word. They weren't just like, okay, wow, great. Finished the temple. We've done the right thing. Come read to us. Now let's just kind of zone out. They listened, listened intently. And this wasn't just like kind of passive listening. This was active listening. You know what it says they did? They stood when God's word was read. And it says they read from dawn until midday there's a pretty good chance they stood for six hours listening to the word of God. It puts a 25-minute sermon into some real perspective, doesn't it? They stood because they wanted to honor and they were showing their their allegiance to and how important this was. They gave it respect. But not only that, it says that they bowed down. They raised their hands. They said, amen, amen. This was active. God's word was working deeply into their heart as they listened to what it said. Listen to every nuance. And what was so important about it is because it was having the authority it was supposed to. This list of names that I half butchered on the way up there, and I'm so glad, Cheryl, you didn't have to read those. Like, these were the leaders of the people at this time. And they were on the stage to say, we too are giving ourselves to the authority of God's word. Our power comes from that, not from who we are. And then to make it very clear, it says the people started to, the the Levites and the teachers went to go teach and make clear God's word to them. Make it evident to them. It wasn't just enough to listen to it. It's something that we've got to do something with. So they go to teach. They go to explain, even to the young and the old alike. And there's two parts to that. One was because most of these folks didn't know Hebrew anymore. They lived in a foreign land, learned Aramaic, which was the dominant language of the time. They didn't understand Hebrew, so it needed to be translated to them. But the other part of it, this really important understanding was they needed to know it. The word understand is used six times in this passage. It wasn't good enough just to know and to check the box that, okay, I heard it. I sort of know it. I know what's going on. It was to understand it for the point to apply it. To apply it, to do something with it. It wasn't just, again, let's move on. Let's, we listen to it. We've done our good thing. We've shown up at church today. Great. They needed to know what it said to them in the contemporary context of their day, which is what preaching is supposed to be. We're supposed to take this old text and say, you know what, it really is living and active. It really does apply to you today. There really are things for us to know and learn, and there's ways we should be building our lives with this is the foundation of ultimate truth because the God of the universe gave it to us to them, the book of the law of Moses that God commanded them. It's a gift to them. It's a gift to us to be understood. That's why it's so important for us to be with other people that we can study God's word with together. If you're interested, if you're, if you're looking for a small group Bible study, and you wanna be involved, if you're looking for a Sunday school class or a community groups that have been so faithful to continue to meet, we have so many great women's Bible studies. You'll hear this week about some men's studies we're doing we'd love for you to be a part of that, to be around other people that can help sharpen you in God's word, to study it together, to understand it together. They listened intently, but then they lived it out. Maybe the most important, maybe the hardest part of God's word for all of us is to live it out. So we read in James, don't just be doers of the word, be hearers of the word. Look intently in the law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom, They lived it out, and they started by living it out by weeping. Trust us, that's the first thing they did. They wept. They heard God's word, read, and they wept because they saw their own sin as opposed to his holiness. They hear of what God had done for them, that God had created them, that God had helped them, that God had chosen them, God had spoken to them, and God had warned them over and over again, and yet they chose the gods of this world. They went after that which was not truth and they replaced truth with it. And they wept because they saw the depths of their sin. That's one of the things that scripture does is it points out our sin. But do you notice what Nehemiah says to him? Don't weep. It's a time to celebrate. This is not a time for weeping because not only does scripture point out our sin, it also reveals our remedy. He says, So, no, the joy of the Lord is our strength. What does that mean? How does that keep me? He's giving them this picture that God takes great delight in you. It was with joy that he moved the heart of Cyrus to get the exile's released. It was with joy that he's worked through you and in you and protected you so you could build the temple and build the altar, build the wall, be safe right now. It is with joy that he lets you understand what's being said. God is at work. And he takes great delight in you it is something we don't think about very often. Zephaniah three seventeen. he will take great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. They needed to take joy because God was taking joy in them. And how do we understand and how do we know this? Because again, context, seventh month of the year, this was the, the new year for the Jewish people. Three things happened. There was the Feast of Trumpets, there was the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles we'll talk about in a second. They were about to get a visual picture of a verbal promise. The day of atonement was when their sins were forgiven, that they come and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and the sacrifice for all the sins of Israel. They would move, they would take their sins and put them onto the scapegoat and send it out into the wilderness where they got to see a clear picture of God's grace and mercy that was greater than their sin. And that's what Nehemiah is saying Do you deserve the curses? Yes. Do you deserve the exile? Yes. Are you more sinful than you could ever imagine? Absolutely. And it does not cancel out his grace or his mercy and his love, which is greater than all of your sin. They got to see a picture of the day of atonement, of forgiveness. We get the picture in the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, our sins are awful and terrible and the more of the Bible you read, the more poignant you're going to see it, the more often you're going to see where you have fallen short of what God is perfection and his glory is, but guess what? You don't have to do it on your own cuz you can anyway. Such a clear picture of his justice and his love that meet at the cross when he has taken away our sin as far as the east is from the west he has given us hope and forgiveness he has given us a hope beyond this world that's the truth that they needed to know that needed to be massaged deeply into their hearts this idea for us as well we can take the gospel for granted if we're not careful but to be reminded that the truth of God's word tells us that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. And then when we take communion, we remember that sacrifice. So how did they respond? The first thing they gave to the poor, it said, now, as you go to celebrate, go give to those who don't have anything. Start there. Start with the people who don't have, start with that. And they did. And then it says that the the heads of households show up. It's like they weren't satisfied with what they were hearing. They wanted more. They wanted to hear more from the Levites and the priests because they wanted to pass this down to the next generation. If you're a parent or if you're a grandparent in here, the most important thing you can do is pass on your faith to the next generation. It is more important than an inheritance that you're really excited to give to them It is more important than a good name. It is more important than a good legacy or a good business. The most important thing you can do is pass down your faith to them. That's why God gave you children and grandchildren to pass down the faith, to share the truth of the gospel, to read the Bible with them, for them to get it and to understand it, to pray with them. They longed for that, and as they found it, there's this idea of the Feast of Tabernacles. They're like, well, we need to celebrate this, and when they hear about it, they take God's word and spread it. It says they go to all the towns around Jerusalem to tell people about it, something they're supposed to do, something they're supposed to celebrate, because there was great joy in obedience, and the Feast of Tabernacles reminds us of what God's people did in the wilderness when they had to live and move day to day to day and they built these little like tents, what we would think of, but booths of the day and live in it for a day or two and then move on. They did that, it was a witness to others. Give you an example of that. When when we lived in Memphis, there was a messianic um, synagogue, which basically means that people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but still worship in the Jewish tradition. One week out of every year, they would build booths on their church property and the people would live in them. Tents and booths, legitimately, like doctors, lawyers, teachers, families, people lived in these booths on their property. I can't tell you how many opportunities it gave me to tell people about Jesus because people couldn't understand. Why would someone do, that's bizarre. Got to have conversations with students and adults alike. Like, why would someone do something like that? I talk about because they believe that God took care of them. They wanna remember God's faithfulness to them. They wanna remember that their trust is not in their power, not in their riches, not in anything of themselves, but what God provided, that they all they need is a small roof over their head and they have all that they could ever want. What a picture. Their obedience was a witness because everywhere in the city, they would see a booth. If You were coming as a visitor outside the city. Their children going, why am I living in this tent for the next week? Their obedience was an opportunity to show the truth of who God was because they obeyed God's word. They took him at his word, which is the great joy of believers because they believed what he wanted was better than what they wanted. What he had in store for them was better than what they had in store for themselves. That's what faith is. What does our obedience show the outside world today? How do people want more of Jesus because you're willing to obey the difficult and hard things? You're willing to make the Sabbath a priority. You're willing to pray out loud to people. You're willing to share your faith. You're willing to love others even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. The hardest parts of the Bible for us to live out, how does that show as a witness to others? What does that look like for us? Because that's what we're called to do. Doing student ministry for a long time, um, the worst part was I had to go to way too many funerals of students and teenagers that died way before they should have. And it was some of the most gut-wrenching, difficult, hard, and frustrating moments to sit there and watch parents have to endure something that no parent should have to, have to bury their child. And to watch the hopelessness, even from people who loved Jesus, just this fear, this hopelessness, this, these people who just didn't know how to even respond and react. And to not be able to give them, you want to give them hope and you give them encouragement, you give them God's word and sometimes it felt like empty to them. Which is why this one stuck out to me so much. Uh, there was one that I went to where the dad stands up, which I don't know how on earth he could do that anyway. I mean, I was like, he's not gonna make it. There's no way this is gonna happen. And he stood up and he said, hey, thank you so much um, for all the well wishes. Thank you for all the ways that you've been supportive, all the calls, all the texts, all the things that you've done. It means so much to me. But I have to tell you, the only place that I found any comfort is in this, and he holds up his Bible. And he says, I know, you think that sounds pithy? That sounds like it's not, this is truth. He's like, I've read the Bible more this week than I probably have my entire life. And I have found some things to be true that I can hold on to and have hope for again. And he says, "I basically could mem- I basically memorized John chapter 11. And I want to I say it to you now. And to hear him share with tears in his eyes about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and Jesus comforting Mary and Martha, do you believe?" And she says, "I know that I will see him again on the last day." And he says, I can't tell you how much hope it gives me to know that I will see him again one day. I will see him on the last day. I can't tell you what it means to me to know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I can't tell you how much it means to me that Jesus weeps with me right now. He longed for God's word, listened to it, and he lived it out. Because in the crowd were a bunch of his folks that he worked with that didn't know Jesus. And a bunch of people from their kids' soccer teams that didn't know Jesus. And a bunch of people from the Rotary Club and stuff because he had a name in the the society who didn't know Jesus. And it was the closest I've ever seen to an altar call at a funeral. It was fascinating. And he says, if you don't get this or don't understand this, I feel sorry for you because you think I've lost so much and yet I have so much that I've gained. Because this son of mine, I know that I will see him again. Because of what Jesus has done in me, through me, in him, through him, I have a hope beyond this world. And it's why I can smile in the midst of my sorrow. And he throws this big grin with tears falling down his face. There's a lot of sermons I'll never remember, but I'll never forget that. It was a man who understood truth. He understood what truth meant and he lived it. He longed for it and he listened to it. He listened to God give him comfort. That is our call as God's people to be a people of the word, that we might be a witness to the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the hope that it gives us. Thank you for the reminder of the gospel. Thank you that it's not about us, that all we bring is the sin that makes it necessary, but we have a hope. And we're reminded about these people who longed for your word. Give us a hunger for your word, Lord, we pray. Make us long for it like water, like food. Help us to listen to what you have to say to us. Father, we know that you are speaking through your word. Give us people around us who love us and help us and encourage us. Help us to live it. Help us not to be listeners of the word, but doers of the word. To go and live for you in obedience, trusting that what you have is better than us, better than anything we could want for ourselves. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that it is greater than all of our sins. And thank you that in Christ alone, our hope is found. In Jesus' name, amen.